All right, welcome in, welcome in to the third episode of the ARBT podcast, your one-stop shop for everything basketball-related. I am Kyle Schulte, and with me, as always, is my cousin Noah. How are you today, Noah? Great, Kyle. How about you? Doing fabulous today. Beautiful 80-degree weather outside in Colorado, and I'll be inside all day watching basketball, so can't complain, can't complain. Um... A great first few days of the tournament. Uh, not a lot of upsets, but still a lot of great basketball. It's always great when you can watch basketball all day. But um, what were your thoughts on the first few days, Noah? Um, yeah, just what you said. There wasn't a lot of upsets, but the games were really close. They were really fun to watch. Like the uh, Oklahoma State-Michigan game was really fun to watch. Just like we predicted. Probably yeah. the best game so Yeah, that far. was a fun game. Um, even though SMU lost, SMU-USC was a really fun game to watch. Overall, like there were... There weren't a whole lot of blowouts and there uh, weren't a whole lot of upsets, but there were some really fun games to watch. And there was sort of a pattern. Like you said, there weren't a lot of upsets. Some of the higher seeds did blow some teams out, but it sort of took a while for most of them to, to sort of get their stride. There was a lot of close games. Even Gonzaga um, was close at the half, but they sort of pulled away at the end and won by 20. But a lot of those games were closer than the score actually indicated. Yeah, uh, was, and that Villanova game, that was really close yeah. too. Uh, it, overall, it was a really great first couple of days. Um, I was really excited to watch it. There were a lot of great games on. Some of the uh, fans were a little disappointed just because there weren't a lot of upsets, but you always say, you know, when there's not a lot of upsets, it means some of the best teams advanced and that's not always the case and that makes for great games in the later rounds yeah the game i'm really looking forward to some of these games that are coming up there's some really good teams uh playing like right now it's Mich- it's uh west virginia and notre dame which is a really fun game to watch yeah i'm really excited for this one uh wisconsin villanova is going to be good so um we'll sort of break down some of the the biggest surprises and disappointments of the first round um for me the biggest disappointment we kind of already talked about it we that's a lot of hope for SMU going in. We talked about them. They're one of my favorite teams. And I guess, I mean, I really overlooked how USC would play, and they really surprised me. Keeping the game close, and then they switched to the zone and um, really stifled SMU and came away with the win, and that really surprised me. Probably the biggest surprise over the first few days. Yeah, that was a really big surprise for me, too. I thought uh, SMU was going to take over and uh, advance to the couple rounds and maybe have like a great tournament and boost himself into the first round for the mock drafts. But um, He kind of did. but he, he did. He had a really good game. He showed a lot of stuff. But UC, USC just powered over SMU when they came away in the end and won. Um, and SMU really struggled with the, um, the zone that USC put on them in the second half. It sort of looked like they were unprepared and they had never seen anything like that. Um, they just couldn't make the shots down the stretch. And then I think they turned it over on... Three, three or four of the last possessions and that really killed them and then USC hits the the game winning shot with a few seconds left. It's disappointing coaching job. You have to be prepared for any sort of defensive adjustment and uh, Brinkovich couldn't do it. Yeah, they, they were really they were really unprepared to, for the zone. I don't think they really had enough time to either prepare or they just overlooked the fact that USC might run a zone. But um, it was a it was it was also a Tom Jacobich's first year on the job, right? First year on the job, first year in the tournament. So first full time year. Yeah. yeah, first full time year, and so I think that the, he did a really good job this year, even without the like all the previous experience in the tournament and with the team. And I think that next year they're going to come back and do really well. Uh, disappointing for the seniors, though. They went out a few years ago unexpectedly too um, tough for some of these guys um, to deal with. So um, you 
SMU is obviously a disappointment. Any other disappointing teams that you thought of after the first round? Um, not really. Uh, Wake Forest and Wake Forest. I thought Wake Forest was going to do well, but then they came out and lost their playing game, right. which was really disappointing because I think they could have made a deep run. That was a sort of a tough draw for them. Um, I thought they were probably a little bit better than having to play in the first four, but they just ran into a, a pretty uh, another pretty good team in Kansas State. Um, Miami, for me, I talked about them. I thought they were going to win and then give Kansas a really good game too, but just a little, little too much inexperience, a little too much Tom Izzo, and they just got blown out in that game with Michigan State last night. Um, that was pretty surprising for me. I thought that would be at least a close game. Uh, yeah, Virginia Tech was pretty surpri- uh, was pretty disappointing for me too. They were, I thought they were going to come out and like really hit a lot of threes and have a really fun game and maybe advance far, but they just came out and Wisconsin handled them for the moment the game started. And it um, sort of speaks to I think some of the poor seeding the tournament went through uh, the committee yeah. gave for the tournament. I think Virginia Tech was better than a nine. Yeah, Virginia Tech was better than nine. Middle Tennessee was better than t- twelve. And Minnesota saw- should not have been a five. Minnesota was pretty average all year. I had them at like a seven or eight seed, right. not five because. I mean, they're not, they don't belong in that class, and they were just destroyed by Middle Tennessee. And, I mean, Vegas sort of proved our point. I mean, Middle Tennessee, a 12 seed was favored in the game with Minnesota. You never see a 12 seed favored in a 12 5 matchup. Um, that was pretty crazy. And then you saw Wichita State favored against Dayton. Both of those teams should have been six or five seeds. It was unfortunate that Dayton had to go out. They had a really good year. Um, disappointing for Archie Miller. Um, I saw UNC Wilmington. I thought they were a pretty unheralded team, but they just lost to a Virginia team that's pretty tough on D. I thought Wilmington had a chance to make the second weekend, but yeah, me too. They were pl- they didn't play terribly. They were just outplayed by Virginia. They started out really well in that game. Um, had a double digit lead, but Virginia played. surprisingly had a little offensive explosion, which is something we haven't seen from them all year. Yeah, we really coming into the tournament, we were kind of discounting them because their offense was pretty terrible. But they really got some good contributions, and even I thought even after um, London Prentice got injured, yeah, that they were done then. But they came back and they still won the game, so that was really surprising. I think that that kind of fire and resilience might uh, take them into the second weekend. Virginia's style wasn't um, exactly the most sexy brand of basketball to watch, but um, Bennett does a good job. He found a really good matchup. Um, Shayok couldn't be stopped. Um, yeah. Anyone on Wilmington couldn't stop them. And that was pretty much what saved them in the game. Um, and uh, another game for me was Vandy Northwestern with Matthew Fisher Davis making that inexplicable uh, intentional foul. A great game. Yeah, just marred. And he was actually he was having a great game. He had like twenty two points. He was really carrying Vandy, but then he made that one mistake. And the good part was he owned up to it. He said that he didn't realize there was like some miscommunication with him and the coach. Yep. And so I think that. Um, that was a, that was ex- a disappointing game. example of when Vandy was out of timeouts, and that's when you need a timeout to sort of make sure everyone on the team is aware of what's going on. Yeah, it was kind of like the Chris Webber Michigan situation yeah. in the 90s when he called that timeout. But um, um, We talked about the Michigan-Oklahoma State game, but uh, give me your thoughts on that game in more detail. Uh, it was really interesting for me. Down the stretch with the two free throws that um, Walton hit, they were up. Notre Dame is a really good free throw shooting team. I think that's what carry that carried over the tournament. Michigan, um, you mean not Notre Dame? Michigan, no. yep. I keep messing those up. Um, 
I thought it was a really good game. And uh, Juwan Evans hit that last three at the end, and I thought that would have yeah, been really cool. Those two free throws time. ended up it, – it didn't seem like they would be a big deal, but the second one that he made ended up being the one that won the game as Evans threw in that three at the end crazily. Yeah. Um, and for those in Vegas that actually made Oklahoma State cover and win, win the game against the spread. So that sort of probably made Vegas go nuts. Um Let's go through some of the other games here. Rhode Island was a team that we were on both on, and they were really impressive against Creighton. Yeah, they had the they were winning the whole game. Um, I, I I don't really have high expectations for Creighton after Watson went down. Um, I think they put a lot of trust in Justin Patton and Mark, Marcus Foster, but they did need a supporting cast, and the only other guy in that team really was uh, Kyrie Thomas. Yeah, and so I think that they really like they kind of lost a lot of their luster and lost a lot of their skill after Watson went down, but URIs came into the tournament hot, and they're staying hot, and I think that they're a dark horse to get into the Sweet 16. They do. They're going to give Oregon a good game. You were saying uh, off the air that you really like URIs' advanced metrics and sort of their advanced stats. Yeah, they don't allow a lot of threes, and they don't, also don't allow many threes to go in, and so I think and, uh, Oregon does shoot a lot of threes, so I think that's going to be an interesting thing to watch during the game. Um, some of the other games here... Florida State, Florida Gulf Coast was a game a lot of people were looking forward to. And it was it, an awesome game. It looked, like lived it. up to the hype, too. Yeah. Lots of good dunks from Dunk City and Florida State, too. Yeah, I like uh, Gulf Coast. I really, I've really i liked them since uh, their Sweet, Sweet 16 run a couple years ago. They really haven't changed identities, even after they lost their coach. They're still like that defensive-minded, long, athletic team. They're, really, they're a great team to watch in the tournament. Um I think that they might get some better recruits coming up, especially after a lot of their tournament success, but it's still a really tiny school. So, Just a tough draw against Florida State, such an athletic and such a deep team. Yeah, I I think Florida State has a has like the potential to go to the championship game, but they also could lose next round. They're really inconsistent. They trust a lot of young guys. A lot, really tough team to sort of evaluate just yeah. because... They, they have a ton of talent, but they haven't really... Really inconsistent. They put it together sometimes this year, but they also got blown out by Syracuse, so... Uh, another game, uh, St. Mary's VCU. A tough one for me to call uh, at the time before the tournament started, but St. Mary's um, was really impressive, I thought, against VCU. Yeah, and VCU kept it... Like, they made it close, but it was just too little too late. Um, I like St. Mary's. I like, I've liked them all year, but... Uh, I think I don't think they're going to go that far. They don't really have like a lot of top tier talent or NBA prospects, and they're c- going to come up against some really good teams with uh, NBA prospects in their brackets. In their Arizona brackets. in the next round. Yeah, Arizona the next round. I don't think they'll be able to stop them, especially with like Simmons, Markinen, and Alkins. So that's sort of uh, most of the the close matchups. Um, but Noah, of all the one and two seeds, and you can even include three seeds too, who do you think was the most impressive in their win in the first round? Um, for me, it was Kansas. I really liked Kansas. I've liked them all year. Frank Mason continued to play well. Uh, that's a really good team to watch. There aren't a lot of like really great. The two seeds were okay. They weren't. None of them like were truly exceptional. But it was all. All the teams were pretty good. So. Yeah, um, there was a lot of, I think, it was sort of a pattern throughout the tournament. Um, um, a, a lot of the higher seeds sort of kept games close in the first half. I think even Arizona was losing at halftime. Yeah, there's a lot of those teams. Like, none of them really proved to be like thoroughly better throughout the whole game. 
Gonzaga was losing at halftime, yeah. and Baylor was losing at halftime. And Nova was Nova was pretty close. Um, and Kansas I'll, was my best team from all the, from that group. But. Yeah, and UNC was pretty uh, impressive too. It just ended up that the higher seeds just didn't have enough to keep up with those teams for the entire forty minutes. But that's sort of a common thread with past tournaments too. In the first game, just some of the better teams trying to find their foot footing in the tournament. Um, let's see here. Who was your best player from the tournament? Best player or best top three players from the tournament? Top three players. Well, yeah. Derek Walton from Michigan. Oh yeah, twenty five and ten. Just unconscious from three in the second half. He threw one in from the parking lot. It was crazy. And he had some pretty critical free throws down the stretch. Yeah, and those were those were one of them was a dagger. And so, right. Um, some of my other best players. Let's see. Um, uh, Upshaw on uh, Middle Tennessee. Uh, Minnesota had sort of made a run in the second half and Potts was on the bench he was in foul trouble and Upshaw put I think 12 points in a row on Minnesota and that's really sealed the deal for them he's a leader on that team he was really good in their win against Michigan State last year he's back again this year and um, yeah I think he's better than he was last yeah. year because he added some more range to his jumper um, it's still pretty consistent from three but it's gotten better so I think that he's pretty dangerous in tournament uh, another great player for me, the, my third final one, was Dwayne Bacon. He had sort of a, a tough final stretch to the regular season in the tournament, leading up to the tournament, but I think he scored something like 19 points in the, in just in the first half and really led um, the charge for Florida State against Florida Gulf Coast. Yeah, Dwayne Bacon really had a great game. Isaac had a pretty good game too, but um, I think Bacon was pretty on, was on fire that first half. I think he, I, sh, I expect him to carry it in the next game a little bit. So I think they're pretty dangerous when Bacon gets going. Right. Um, any other players do you think we should talk about as sort of having noteworthy games? Not really. Most of, it, most of the games this weekend were pretty team effort game. Were a lot of team efforts. Not a whole lot of individual efforts. Not really. Especially uh, in winning efforts. Aaron Holiday had 15, 15 points and 11 assists, which is a pretty good game, especially in the tournament. So. Lonzo, I think he got injured a little bit. Fell awkwardly, but I think he was fine. But yeah. it sort of affected him the rest of the game. Yeah, and Kent, I, Kent kept that game against UCLA kind of close. But it's still UCLA, so they just kept going. But yep, yeah. Um, that's sort of our overview of how the first round went. Um, we'll look ahead to how we think things in the round of thirty-two will play out. Um, any games you're looking forward to here in the the round of thirty-two? Um, I'm really I'm really looking forward to. Uh, I'm, I'm really looking forward to Rhode Island, Florida. That's gonna be a game. Uh, Rhode Island, Oregon's going to be good. I like Michigan, Louisville. Michigan, Louisville is my favorite game from yeah. in the round of 32. I think Michigan has a real chance against Louisville. I like Iowa State, Purdue, just because the style clash is there with like old school, and then just like Swanigan versus Morris. Yeah, I mean, they don't play the same position, but it's still going to be fun. History will tell you that probably the guard in Monte Morris will prevail over the big men, but you never know when you have two dominant big men like Purdue do, does. But typically. Um, the norm has been small ball beats big ball in uh, March Madness. Yeah, Deontay Burton's been on fire, so I think he can yep. he can have a he can like add another boost that they know, were really the team that Purdue just doesn't have. They were really impressive against Nevada. A lot of people like Nevada in that game, but Iowa State never really let Nevada get any closer than ten points. Um, one game I want to talk about in the round of thirty-two is my Dukies. Um, I'm a little upset that they're having to play South Carolina in South Carolina. I think it's 
pretty crazy that a number two seed has to play a road game in the second round. I'm not quite sure how that worked out. Um, any thoughts on that one, Noah? No, I'm, I'm not going to talk about You don't have any problems with Duke having to play a road game? Not really. I have, <laughs> Duke has had so much luck and so much... Oh, Duke luck? has been great for so long. I, I just can't... That's not like luck, though. That's just that they're good. They yeah, you, I don't, they're like the Patriots. I really... I just don't like them. I don't, I, I'm don't okay like, with them. People don't like teams that are good, that consistently win. I don't, I don't think people anyone People like the does. Spurs. Everyone loves the Spurs. It's just like the Not way they win, like J.J. Redick and Christian Leitner and Grayson Allen. Like, you don't like those guys. Swagger. Oh, my God. I love all of those guys. I hate those guys Luke so Kennard. much. Tyler Hansborough. Woo! Oh, my God. Hansborough was on UNC. Everyone hated him. Oh, my him. God. Hansborough. Oh, I'm thinking of a different guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that game's going to play out. Duke always worries me in the first couple of rounds. They never, at least lately, they haven't... Um, they kind of struggled in the first few rounds, and it's pretty much a road game. So we'll see how that one goes. That's sort of one to keep your eye on. Um, some of the other games, uh, Middle Tennessee versus Butler is going to be intriguing for me. Yeah. Butler, Butler's really underrated. I really like the way they're playing. Well, so is Middle Tennessee. Um, Middle Tennessee is sort of one of those teams that they're underseeded, but a lot of people know about them, maybe just because of the way they won last year. But yeah, sort of everyone's pick. They added Jacoby And they Williams. are a lot better this they, year. Giddy Potts got better. Upshaw got better. I think this team is more dangerous. They can make a... I think they might be able to make a Sweet 16 run. But you think they could beat Beller? I think they could. They have a lot of firepower offensively. They're really stingy defensively. That would be a great game, I think. Yeah, that would be a really fun game to watch. Um, let's see here. What else? Um, we've got Baylor playing USC. Baylor had another scare. They really struggled in the first round the past couple of years. And New Mexico State was winning for a large portion of that game, and they sort of they pulled away in the second half. Um, but do you like Baylor to advance against USC? Yeah, I like Baylor to advance. Um, I like made, I like uh, D'Anthony Melton and Metu at USC, but I think that Baylor just has like their defense is really good. I just think they have more weapons than USC does at this point. Looking ahead, um, if we're assuming both Baylor and Duke win. I, we were both looking forward to an SMU-Duke clash, uh, Semi-Ojale versus Duke, but unfortunately that didn't happen. But looking ahead to a Duke-Baylor game, that would be another interesting matchup. The size on the interior for Baylor versus the guards of Duke. Um, that would be a really intriguing game. Yeah, I think Duke would win that just because the guards are more important. I like Duke in that game, year. too. So I think but Baylor has the comps, but really not, not much else. Well, Motley's pretty good, but yeah. Well, I mean, as, as far as guards, yeah. yeah, they don't really have. Wainwright kind of shows up sometimes, but really, it's just it's mostly the comps, and that's it. Like we were talking about earlier, since there was no large upsets, looking ahead to assuming the higher seeds win again, lots of intriguing matchups in the Sweet Sixteen and possibly the Elite Eight, the one versus two or the one versus three in every region is going to be so exciting if it plays out that way. You're looking at, uh, in the Elite Eight, possibly Nova and Duke playing, Arizona, Gonzaga, UNC versus either Kentucky or UCLA. Yeah, there's going to be some monster clashes with like the like more chalk bracket we had. So I think that's going to be really fun to look forward to is like the high stakes, big games. Uh, Arizona, Gonzaga looks fun with um, what Goss versus Simmons and Alkins. And maybe marketing in there versus Zach Collins if he gets a start. And that's a rematch in a game Gonzaga won earlier in the year. Yeah, I think this could be a big game to see, for marketing to pr improve his draft stock to show like he could be more physical and he could go against a big center like um, 
like the bit against like the big front front court that Gonzaga has. I think that's Karnowski and Collins. Yeah, Karnowski's Karnowski's gonna be a big test for Markkinen. Uh, he's shown that he could he's more physical over the past couple games, but really, like this could be a really big game for him. How did you think Gonzaga played in the first round? I wasn't terribly. I wasn't impressed at yeah, all. Yeah, they were losing to the 16 seed. I had the, I mean I know that they were it was gonna happen that a 16 was gonna be the one. But I really thought like this could like the, if any team would do it, Gonzaga would lose. That Gonzaga would d- just definitely lose with that. The concerning part for me was that South Dakota State was able to sort of dictate the way Gonzaga played. They made Gonzaga shoot a lot of threes, and they really bullied Karnowski as much as you can bully Karnowski. And that's really not their game. They're more of an inside presence team. And when you make Gonzaga shoot threes, that's when they struggle. Well, yeah, I mean Goss. For all the good things Goss does, he's a terrible three-point shooter. They don't really. They have um, Jordan Matthews, who's a, who's good, but he's really not good enough to um, like make up for the three-point three shooting deficit that the whole team has. So they have Northwestern in the second round. I think they're good enough to beat Northwestern for sure. Definitely, definitely. I like Northwestern's story again, but still. Yeah, it was good to see them out. win, even though. There was sort of that debacle at the end. Yeah. And speaking of debacles, I forgot to talk about the the end of that Seton Hall Arkansas game. Oh my god. My goodness. That was ridiculous. Even uh, was it Chris Weber who the one who was complaining on the air about that call, the technical? For those who don't know, um, Seton Hall was down and they needed the foul to put Arkansas on the line to stop the clock, and the officials called a flagrant foul for some reason. Yeah, it was terrible ridiculous. call. It was just absolutely ridiculous. So it gave Arkansas two shots and the ball, and they were able to seal it from there. Um, I'm not sure how you can call that game that foul a technical foul. I'm not calling any other foul at the end of games technical fouls. Yeah, there. I mean, at the end of the NCAA games, there's always a little bit more chippiness, and like there's always a little bit more physicality because for some guys, it could be the last game they play. It's like there's like that sense of urgency and that do whatever it takes mentality. I mean, so I think that like. If they're going to call that technical, they have to call way more yeah, that, technicals at the end of games. That's the point. Technically, the foul was correct because the uh, the player didn't make a play on the ball. He was trying to intentionally foul. But the officials have to recognize the situation and know that Seton Hall wants the foul to stop the clock. And for some reason, they just didn't do that. Um, yeah. It's not something you normally see at the end of games. Um, going back to Gonzaga, though, we think that they'll beat Northwestern and then they'll get the winner of this game that's going on right now between West Virginia and Notre Dame. Um, I think West Virginia, if they win, would be a tough matchup for Gonzaga. Yeah, they'd be really tough because they've been on fire lately. The only, the, Again, the only concern I really have with them is the fatigue level because playing this many games in this condensed of a time within this system with like the full-court press, and the, like the trans- they rely heavily on their transition off and their transition game and offense because they're really not efficient. Yeah, in the they're half really court. bad in the half court out of outside of Javon Carter. I think that's going to be something to watch for. I mean, if they, if maybe their conditioning program is great there, but still, like the exhaustion has to come in at some point. I they will have a week after this game with Notre Dame if they win now. So if they win good. tonight, yeah, if, if they win at Notre Dame, so I think that like. They're a really tough game when they're they're a tough matchup when they're at full strength, but the only, that's the only question I have. They'll put a lot of pressure on Goss to perform a lot better than he did in the first game against South Dakota State. Yeah, and it's gonna, I think it's gonna be hard for Kronowski to move around because he's really not a mobile guy. And so I think that like playing a team like West Virginia where there's a lot of running and they kind of run you for forty minutes is gonna be something to watch, especially with foul trouble right. that Kronowski has had and just like the conditioning where he's like almost two hundred fifty pounds and he's huge. 
So after the first round, has your opinion, um, first of all, who did you pick to win the entire tournament before March Madness started? UCLA. UCLA. And after watching the first round of games, have you changed your mind at all? No, UCLA looked great. I love, they showed a lot of depth. Holiday, who was great last year as a freshman, really showed more improvement in playmaking. And so I think that's going to be something to watch, like especially if ball goes down or if that uh, injury keeps bothering him. I think that's going to be really important. It's probably still a little too early to change your mind on any of the major teams because they all yeah. sort of won by a lot. Um, I picked Duke to win the whole thing beforehand. You have a, totally not a homer pick at all. Yeah, It's sure. based purely on my back, basketball knowledge All right, and my uh, love for Coach K. Um, Do you have any Dark Horses to get to the Final Four? Dark Horses. Uh, dark Horses. Let's see. Um, hmm... You know, I, I like UCLA as a three-seed, but they're not at all a dark horse. Yeah, they're definitely not a dark horse. Mine, um, is, mine is Michigan. I, I have them, Michigan. I think, going to the Elite Eight in my individual bracket. I think it sets up well for them if they can beat Louisville because they're if they win, they'll play a depleted Oregon team or Rhode Island if Rhode Island can win. Yeah. Um, and then they'll play Kansas in the Elite Eight, assuming Kansas wins. And that's not the worst matchup for them either. No, that's a good matchup for them. They have a lot. I think Zach Irvin might be able to at least slow down Josh Jackson. They have a lot of guards up up front to uh, kind of match Frank Mason and Devontae. Yeah. So that's going to be an interesting matchup. Uh, my dark horse is Middle Tennessee State. I mean, I it's gonna, it's a long road, but they have a lot of weapons and like Ja'Cory Williams and Reggie Upshaw and Giddy Potts. Yep. I think that's going to be really important because they have just a ton of depth. And when I saw them, they, there really wasn't a time when at least one Upshaw, Potts, or or Williams wasn't on the floor. So I think that that's going to be important because they can kind of they come at, they'll come up the teams in waves. And I think that's going to be that's important. It's really impressive the talent Middle Tennessee has accrued over the years. Yeah, for it, sort of a smaller for program a, for a tiny program that really just jumped into that national attention last year. They've really added a lot of depth and talent there really dangerous the, the problem for them is just the draw I mean they'll have to beat Butler tonight and then they'll have to play probably UNC and then if they beat UNC in the Elite Eight they'll have to play probably either UCLA or Kentucky I think Kentucky would be a good draw for them because Kentucky's still really young I think they're easy to, they're really vulnerable like young teams are generally really vulnerable in March I think that's going to be that's like their best chance to win if they get to play uh, Kentucky I think they can easily beat Butler with all the talent they have. That'll be it. That's one of my other favorite games, this Middle Tennessee-Butler game. That'll be a really good game, I think, later today. Um, you mentioned Kentucky. They're sort of another team under the radar, even though they're only a two-seed. Not a lot of people are talking about them as a, a championship-type contender. Yeah, I, th I think that comes down to their youth, and like their, even their like older guys are pretty bad. Like... Um, yeah, Mulder, they're, they're Mulder's, so reliant on Mulder's bad. Willis freshman. is pretty terrible. <laughs> he shoots a lot of threes, but he makes a really low percentage of them. Wendy Gabriel, Wendy Gabriel is almost unwatchable at this point. Uh, Adebayo, I, every Adeb time I watch Gabriel, I'm like, what is this guy doing on the floor for Kentucky? That's a good, he's I don't like, think I've ever seen him score. No, um, he's really not. <laughs> I, see, I saw him score once, and it was a three-pointer on a pick-and-pop. But um, another thing I have with them is... Uh, Adebayo should be doing better considering like who he, he's like he's 6'11 260 pounds he should be he should be doing way better on the boards he should be doing way better in defense and as a rim runner I think that he kind of if he hits like one mid-range jumper early in the game like he does I think he gets like most big men he falls in love with it and then just only does that the rest of the time 
think he's pretty exploitable down there. Uh, he's kind of improved the last few games. He has, he has, but he's still not at the level that right. we expected him to be. Uh, Fox has really improved. He's he's hit. Uh, Darren he's been, Fox his is, jumper has been coming back, and I think if his jumper is real and it, he hits a lot of threes in the tournament, then he is in the discussion for number one draft pick because I love him as a prospect. And the only thing he's missing is a jumper. I wouldn't say he's in the discussion for number one, but he is quickly becoming probably my second or third favorite prospect in the draft. Yeah. Especially definitely. if he continues with this development of a jump shot. Yeah, and uh, like the lack of top point guards in the tournament right now with Fultz and Smith out, I think there's a really big chance for Ball to kind of take over number one. And Evans it's is a, out now too. Yeah, yeah, Evans is out now too. And for Fox to really rise up the boards, especially with also uh, Nidalekina not getting a lot of minutes over in France. So I think this is a really big time for uh, Ball and Fox to really up their draft stock. So of the remaining prospects in the draft, we'll sort of put an NBA draft lens on um, the tournament up to this date. Any other prospects you're looking forward to as the, the tournament progresses, based just strictly teams that are still left? I like marketing. Marketing, uh, Josh Jackson to kind of rise. I like I like Justin Jackson maybe to get up in the mid first round where I think I've seen him a couple times just because of his uh, improved free ball and his ability to create his own shot. Jackson, Justin Jackson from UNC might be the, the most improved of any NBA eligible prospects. I think John Motley's up there too. But Motley too, but I mean Jackson was a late second round pick last year and he's developed same, into a, a mid first round pick. Same with Swanigan. There are a lot of like, and all these guys were pretty high recruits too, so it's kind of nice to see them. Shown up and like you like Swanigan as an I, NBA I prospect. I really like Swanigan as an NBA. I mean, really? he's not an, he's not a great athlete, but he does a lot of things well. He's a, he is really well rounded offensively. He's an underrated passer. He's a great rebounder. He's a good defender for his athleticism, and so I think that he's has a chance to stick in the NBA. Um, talk about the Duke prospects. Um, I like Kennard as another one of those really improved prospects. He wasn't really considered as an NBA player last he year. He was a fringe prospect last year. I think but he has year. developed into such a scorer. Yeah. He can score anyway, shooting, slashing to the rim, coming off pick and rolls. And really seen, a complete all-around scorer. Yeah, I've seen some uh, Chris Mullen comparisons to him. Both yeah, really smooth too. lefties, great scorers. Uh, can I, use I either know. hand to finish. To yeah, I, I like him as a prospect, just like the athleticism gets me a little bit. Because I think... You need, you need to be athletic, and his size, he can make up for it with the size on defense, but really, you need that, that athleticism, and I just don't th know if he has it. He'll have a defined role in the NBA. He won't be he won't be like a star. A star. He'll be no, a six-man no. scorer type role, I think but those are like valuable a, still in the NBA. Yeah, he could be like a Lou, uh, Lou Williams kind of yeah. player. Um, Sim not, not similar styles, but similar sort of overall games. Yeah, overall games. Uh, I like uh, Jason Tatum for that team. I really like the way he's been playing lately. He, Jason Tatum has taken his game to another level. Yeah, he's improved his three ball. He's still an amazing free throw shooter, and I think that's going to be critical too. Um, when I, we get to the, the mock draft portion, I'll give you my pro comparison for Jason Tatum, and it's I think it's a doozy. Good. I'm going to really, really enjoy talking about that one. <laughs> All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> teaser alert, teaser alert. Um, the other prospect on Duke is Harry Giles. Disappointing year. Um, really played he's well. He's flashes, though. He's yeah, like he really flashes. played well in the ACC tournament, but struggled in the first round against Troy. I, I think, think he only played like seven minutes. I think uh, whoever drafts him at, at, has a draft with the expectation he'll be like a Kenneth Reed for a couple years before he really starts to show the upside and really starts to show who he was in high school. And still rehabs. I mean, he's still getting healthy he's still, right yeah, he's now. Still, I mean, when you come back from like three knee injuries in high school, you're going to have athleticism issues. 
he also, I think, has mental issues with his like confidence in his knees. And he, who can blame him? He and, has had a ton of problems with his knees. And defensive positioning is another mental aspect. He still just does, thinks too much on defense, doesn't quite know. It's not instinctual as far as where he needs to be de- positioned on defense. Yeah, I kind of think about it like how Buddy Heald is an offense. Like, they're really... They're really like they overthink what they're doing, and I think that they, they just need to like let it go on offense and just or, uh, on whatever side of the ball that they're worried about. They're just like kind of be instinctual on that side. Um, I like Grayson Allen. He really has improved his draft, draft stock, but he's an underrated athlete. He's a good. He is a good shooter. I think he can carve out a nice role in the NBA. He's not going to be a star though, especially yeah. with all of his issues, uh, like mentally with like the tripping yeah. and all the technical fouls. Um, but, do you think? I'm not sure Grayson will uh, declare for the draft after this year he's had. He might stick around for another year. Well, I don't know how he could really improve his draft stock past, well, past where he is. He could, he's shown he's a, maybe he's not quite as concerned with his draft stock as some other players after he stayed after that great year he had a sophomore year. Yeah, I think his draft ceiling, though, is around mid-lottery. Or not mid-lottery, mid-first round. I think that's as, as high as he can go. But ne- next Probably year, a little bit later than that, too. Yeah, next year is a pretty guard-deprived draft, so I think that could be a really... He, if he comes out next year, which he, he has to, I think yeah. that he'll, he'll be a good prospect to look for. Um, so that's our lens, NBA draft lens on the rest of the tournament, some of our favorite prospects. There's some we have, didn't mention, uh, Isaac from FSU, but um, those are some of our favorites. Um, looking ahead, um, you still like uh, who was it to? Who's your favorite to win the whole thing? UCLA. That's your hundred percent favorite. You think? Yeah, I really like UCLA. And I still like Duke, um, but all of the the major seats are still available. Um, I think we're looking for a great couple weekends here in the tournament. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really fun tournament, uh, especially with like the major blue chip program. Lucha program for the most part uh, clashes. That's to be fun. I really want to see URI. They have they have potential to get pretty far. Um, Oregon, or like they lost about Boucher, but I think they could still make a deep run. There's a lot of good teams. I I'm not gonna list them all because that'd be insane. But still, there's a lot of great teams. Maybe not um, this weekend, but definitely next weekend. We're looking at some really exciting matchups. Um, if all everything goes to chalk as it has done mainly for the first few days. So that is our recap of the tournament to this point. Um, we'll finish up with our N1 recap, recapping all the biggest stories in the NBA and best performances. And our Jokic update. And the Jokic update, the best part of any podcast. <laughs> uh, Jokic's fifth triple-double yeah, uh, a couple crazy. nights ago against... The Clippers. We, and the Nuggets have been playing really well. Like their defense. Four in a row. They're actually trying on defense, and surprise, they're winning. So hey, well, imagine took, how that works. It only took out. most of the season to get there, but I think Malone finally got to realize that defense is something you have to do. So yeah, yeah. Um, um, the problem is they're the players still are just not very good at defense. They're not good. So uh, I believe that uh, Bleacher Report had a had an article about the worst defenders at every position in every position besides. A surprisingly center with Jokic had a had a nugget had a nugget either in the honorable mention or in one of the worst defenders, and so that's just a really great sign for a playoff yeah, team. Yeah, that's a suboptimal uh, article for Nuggets yeah, fans. Not really everywhere. great to read. It was kind so, of painful to see because I thought Chandler and Garris were great defenders, but Garris is Gary Harris. For those who don't yeah. know, we love Garris. As uh, as Bleacher Report pointed out, they're pretty terrible. Uh, yeah. 
pretty terrible defenders. So that'll be a theme for the Nuggets offseason, finding defenders. Yeah, this Either this in the draft or in free agency. Possibly Otto Porter or Jonathan Isaac, Darren Fox, Harry Giles. Who knows? Yeah. Um, top performances for you? Top performances. Um, I don't know. I mean, Jokic, the triple-double, that's yeah. my favorite performance. Yeah, I haven't really been paying attention a lot to the NBA over the last couple weeks because yeah. March Madness is starting. And so. we sort of already touched on some of our favorite performances. Um, any big stories, though, outside of college basketball that you're keeping outside an eye on? Um, the Warriors are terrible right now. They've been playing. Right now. They're right terrible. now they're pretty terrible. They almost, terrible lost the, they almost lost the 76ers, and it took Draymond Green with a Herculean effort to win that game. I think that's pretty big. Um, this is the problem the NBA has. I don't know how they can fix it, but they've got teams at the bottom of the standings tanking to get a high draft pick. And then they've got teams at the top of the standings um, who are just sort of resting and coasting their way into the playoffs. So there's not that many competitive games. But I think the the best part of it is the uh, six, seven, eight seeds. uh, That's the only part that has any real incentive. Every every seed from three down is pretty fun. All those games are pretty fun to watch. Um, They're kind of slugfests. Uh, Nurkic has kind of cooled down for Portland. Yeah, let's talk about Nurkic for a sec. we got a lot of flack from Portland fans saying, well, we can't believe you gave away Nurkic and a first-round pick for pretty much nothing but Mason Plumley." I think Plumley was a great pick. Yeah. That was a great. I really like that. Even if he doesn't put up the stats that Nurkic might be, he's getting less minutes, he's, and he fits perfectly for what the Nuggets are doing. Yeah, he's been started. Like, the other the other players with him when he's out there are finally starting to understand that who he is and how he, he's, like, a great playmaker for them. I think that, that he's just a continuation for the for, of a Jokic Except yep. for scoring. Which is what the Nuggets were looking for because when Nurkic came in, it was a completely different offense. Well, yeah, because Just Nurkic a ball stopper in the post, and it just didn't fit. Nurkic gives 0% effort when he's out there. He really he looks so disinterested in the game. He looks like he's better than it. And I think that like he start, he's starting to show that to Portland. When, my thoughts on Nurkic are pretty much what you said. When everything's going well, when he's getting the ball, when he's getting minutes, and his team is winning, he is looks like one of the best young players in the NBA. But when he starts... With the the second he, something goes wrong where he starts missing shots or he sits on the bench, he, just, he totally he, checks out. He starts pouting. He starts like making really dumb fouls out there. He has so much potential. And if, like, if Jokic had his athleticism, then I think that Jokic should be the best player in the NBA by far. He would be up there for sure. Yeah. I think that he's just wasting all his potential. But back to our our top story, for me, like you said, it's the playoff race, um, especially for the Nuggets in the West. Um, It's pretty much come down to a three-team race, pretty much two, actually. It's the Nuggets, it's the Trailblazers, and then the Mavericks are lurking there, too. The the T-Wolves are starting to heat up, but... They've won a few games in a race, too. It's too late. They're not going to get there. The Nuggets have a tough schedule coming up. They play the Rockets twice, the Cavs. But I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal, because, I mean... Love, they're just starting to ease back J.R. Smith and Love and Cleveland into action after missing so much time. And they're catching the Rockets on the back-to-back, second night of a back-to-back, which yeah, is Yeah, the Rockets, the Rockets bench, I mean, even with Lou Williams, Lou Williams has struggled since he got there. Eric Gordon's so great, but he's not enough. I think that that team, I mean, I think that the Nuggets have a real chance to go to have a winning record during this stretch. And I think if they do that, then they're really going to... And that blew up in the standings. The last game of the stretch is the huge one at Portland after they play Houston twice I'm and so Cleveland. Excited. That is going to be a fun it's game be a to great watch. Nurkic so versus Jokic for the first time. And also um, the playoff race is going to be great because yeah. that's a real that's a real important matchup. 
Um, any other big stories you're looking at in the NBA? No. High school not. basketball, anything? Not a lot. I think we covered everything. Um, so that wraps up our third episode here on the ARBT podcast. We'll check in next time with another tournament update, and we'll give you our NBA news too. Thanks for stopping by.